coming to you from Podcast Detroit. It's Heard, your food, beverage, and hospitality podcast. Please subscribe on iTunes. And for future episode information and additional content, head over to herdpodcast.com and follow us on Instagram at herdpodcast. Welcome to lovely Royal Oak, Michigan. We are coming to you live with our first podcast. Uh, we are going to be talking about food and beverage through a Detroit lens. Uh, I am here. I'm Joe Hakeem. I am here with three other lovely gentlemen. Uh, Dave, tell them who you are. Dave, I am Dave Kwiatkowski. I am the uh, one of the partners in Detroit Optimist Society. I... Uh, I'm also the owner of uh, such establishments as the Sugar House Writing Company, Peterborough, Cafe 78, Honest John's, and Bad Luck Bar in lovely downtown Detroit. Great. Uh, my name is Jason Leinart. Uh, I work for Dave. Uh, with Dave. With Dave. I'm sorry. Dave and I uh, work together. Uh, I work on all things related to celebrations uh, for the Detroit Optimist Society, uh, including uh, marketing, business development, uh, so uh, I'm here to just uh, share my experiences uh, in the hospitality industry in the city day in and day out and uh, looking forward to seeing what we all have to say. So I'm Nick Britsky. I am a freelance spirits writer around Detroit. Uh, do a couple things like Thrillist and Our Detroit. Working on a new uh, beer publication as well that's coming out of uh, New York. But yeah, it's kind of my, my goal is to make a bunch of new, cool, fun things around boozy content and share with the world. And uh, I like to eat, too, so I can try to roll with these guys as well. I like it. Now it's back to me. I'm Joe Hakeem. I help run Ackroyd's Bakery in Redford, Michigan. And I also started The Hungry Dudes about eight years ago uh, with a friend of mine and now run it with Vato. Uh, and we basically travel around the city, uh, Detroit, and try food and kind of post about what we like. Uh, it has grown exponentially in eight years and uh, blossomed into even a consulting business for myself. So, I mean, there are two powerhouses right here for Detroit. We have the Detroit Optimist Society. We have the Hungry Dudes, two big food and beverage players in the city. Uh, we have myself, who's pretending. And between Sweet all of us. Cocktail expert, <laughs> Nick Britsky. Cocktail expert. Yeah, someone said that. And so I think bringing this all together is going to be a nice group of people. Again, yeah. this is episode one. Yeah. So uh, we're going to learn, but you guys are going to grow with us, and it's going to be fun. I think diverse viewpoints, yeah. informed all the way around. Right. So we all got a little skin in this game to you know, try to show off uh, the best of Detroit and what, in general, the, I think the U.S. and the world has to offer about all the, the great food and bev out there. Yeah. So, Dave, while, you know, while we're introducing ourselves, let's um, talk about you, you own a number of different places. What has changed since you 
opened uh, Sugar House to opening Bad Luck. Yeah, so Sugar House opened in 2011. Uh, Bad Luck opened um, six weeks ago, 2016, under 2016. So it was a very uh, interesting and intense five years. Um, the city has just grown uh, exponentially. Um, more and more people coming in. Um, obviously, we I saw something with slows, and I, ju- I just thought Detroit was a cool place to be. And I knew that Detroit didn't have a craft cocktail culture, but I knew that it had people that would dig it. Um, now fast forward five years, you know, we know of 50 restaurants opening in the next six months. I mean, it's just outrageous the the amount of development. So it's a really exciting time to be in Detroit doing what I do. Um, it's a very stressful time, not not a lot of sleeping going on, but, uh, yeah, it's just a, it's just a phenomenal city to be, to be, um, in right now and, and, uh, to be doing what I'm doing. So we're seeing a ton of people, a ton of interest. Um, everybody's really into eating and drinking, obviously. Um, a lot of young people are coming back into the city and, you know, they love culture, which means, and living in the city, which and, is cool. And living. Yeah. yeah. More and more people are living, um, which is fantastic. So. Pull, pull back a little. So when you talk about craft cocktails and starting in Detroit, <clears throat> when did it kind of happen nationally? So when are like the, the PDTs of the world and when are these places opening up? That are were, was Detroit far off? Were we like yeah, five so, years, ten years? So I'm sure that we're going to get like an angry text message from someone. But I think PDT was like 2005. Okay. What's PDT? Uh, please don't tell. It was a fantastic bar. Still is a fantastic bar mm-hmm. in Manhattan. Um, One I, of the early craft bars, would you say? Ish, okay. Yeah. It, so so I I uh, attribute my uh, uh, love and affection for craft cocktails. Back to the source, which was milk and honey. So Sasha mm, Petrasky mm. opened milk and honey. The late Sasha Petrasky yeah. um, opened milk and honey, and I visited it uh, maybe in uh, may, well, maybe it was around 2005. Actually, now that I think of it, it was um, post college. I'd been living in Chicago, and th- well, yeah, I was sort of back and forth. Anyway, so I was in I was in um, at milk and honey in the late 2000s, and that was where I really got the bug. Um, and then a, a few other places opened past that. Dale DeGroth had been doing his thing at the Rainbow Room. Mm-hmm. Um, the guys at um, Angel's Share had been doing their thing, which was basically Japanese bartenders just kicking ass the way Japanese dudes do everything perfectly. Uh, but it was Sasha that really was sort of ushering in the new level of craft cocktail. Uh, and that was what really influenced me. And then I ended up back in Chicago. The Violet Hour opened in maybe 2009. Do you know that, Jason? No, I believe I believe when we were there, she said it was at least nine years. Yeah, old. So okay, probably. So when I got to, yeah, yeah. So when I got to Chicago, I said, now that I'm living in a big city, where's the fancy cocktail cocktail joint? And really, it was the California Clipper had a cool program, Matchbox had a a cool program, but it was the Violet Hour. It was the 800 pound cocktail gorilla in the room. Mm-hmm. And then a couple of years later, ended up back in Detroit, and that's when I bought. Uh, Sugar House, which is interesting because kind of right about the same time you have Sandy with the Oakland, yeah, that in was probably not doing it on separate paths. You know, I mean, you guys weren't. They just kind of they both came up about right about the same time. Well, Sandy and I actually sat down and met when we we both kind of found out about each other. <laughs> we were both like we were both like soliciting the same bartender in uh, Chicago or something, and we we were both like very influenced by the Violet Hour, and we're actually both named after the Oakland Sugar House. Okay. Right? So Sandy and I sat down at Toast in Ferndale and sort of sized each other up and like it, we were both we were both basically bringing the same thing you know like we were like i'm the business guy well i'm the business guy you know whatever so um the the potential for collaboration was there very early on it just never manifested itself sure. but you know godspeed i mean he he does a great job 
uh, awesome operator. Love that place. And you have nice territory too. I feel like you kind of yeah. have Detroit. He has the Burbs. Yeah, you know. he's got Ferndale, which yeah. is you know, which is fantastic. Very hopping, in its own, yeah. right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and we've got Corktown, and now he's obviously got Chartreuse downtown, and so yeah, it's great. It's great. It's really worked out. So, so as a cocktail novice and someone who enjoys drinking but doesn't really like, I I know what flavors I like, stuff like that. Um, I was taken aback when when both places opened, like there, there was kind of a learning curve and, uh, I felt like at the time, uh, that it was difficult to order a drink that, that it wasn't, um, that it wasn't user-friendly. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. So there was this thing where, um, and I'm sure that everybody, everybody that's ever been to a quote unquote craft cocktail bar in the last 10 years has seen like the mustachioed vested arm guarded yeah right and so i talk about that occasionally with people that was a thing that we had to do when i was opening sugar house now the customer service part that just sucked on my part and all of the parts <laughs> but but the different you can admit that no absolutely <laughs> yeah. i can absolutely i can but I'll, I'll i'll try and i'll try and not justify it but explain what was happening everybody when i was opening sugar house people were like what are you doing and i'd say well i'm opening a cocktail bar and they're like well like a ultra like a lounge martini? Yeah. Like a martini bar? And I'd say, well, yeah, I'm going to serve martinis, but we're going to do cocktails, you know. And so we kind of had to do a visual reset on on what this experience was. So when you walked in, you immediately had all of these visual cues that this was not just an ultra lounge or this was not a martini bar, that we were actually doing cocktails. And with that, at least for my operation, with that, I didn't hire any bartenders. I didn't hire any bartenders. I hired guys like Nick that had passion. interest, yeah. passion. John Notoriani, who worked at WDET, who had passion mm-hmm. and was informed, but had zero time behind the bar. I myself had very little time behind the bar and am at best not a people person. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically, <laughs> hey, I can admit it. Um, but uh, but the re- so the reality is that I, I, I stocked up on guys that I felt would be technically proficient, but clearly lacked the hospitality component. And I think that that happened on a national level as well, not to excuse, you know, anything about Sugar House, but that was sort of what we had to do. We had to create this, this difference. Mm-hmm. And that meant hiring guys that didn't have any experience that didn't bring with them bad habits. So but seven years later, but I could say, uh, you know, I started off at the Sugar House as a bar back, uh, about two and a half years ago. So, I could say that by the time that I started there, still going with the model of hiring people that didn't have any experience uh, bartending, which I certainly did not, um, other than, you know, early college years working as a server at like a cooker restaurant, not to date myself, but, um, you know, to start bar backing at the sugar house and go through the process of um, learning the range of spirits, the range of cocktails, but also that sort of hospitality training had already taken hold. And um, I got to see it firsthand behind the bar. And one of the things that turned me on about it, going there first as a as a customer before I even thought about working there and having, you know, been drinking for many, many years, but not really being as well-traveled as some of the other people who may have seen these concepts in other cities, to me, it was an experience, um, a mind-blowing experience to sit at the bar and say, wow, why are there eggs on the bar? Why are all, why, why are you even doing this? I don't get it. I mean, I was. Why more aren't open, the eggs pickled? Yeah, why? You, why? I was more open-minded, but you know, and really into the experience, it really drew me in. But then working behind the bar, you know, like Dave was talking about, 
when somebody comes to the bar and says, I want a Jack and Coke, I want a dirty martini, or you have to, when you're telling somebody no, or, you know, you have to have a reason why. And so like it was a prohibition bar. It made that, it made it very easily for somebody's psychology to say, well, you know, we, we don't make dirty martinis, but we're making these really great classic cocktails and this is why. And so it was a really, we nat- don't have flavored nat- vodka because yeah. they didn't have flavored. Yeah, vodka, exactly. Right? It was a natural bridge, right? You yeah. could really just direct somebody in there. And, and so that became, um, you know, for me, I actually really enjoyed the hospitality aspect of it because then I could work somebody, take somebody on a journey through, Hey, you may not have thought you like this. You may, I didn't drink gin for 10 years. I came in the first drink that Yanni made me. I'm like, Holy shit. Now I can drink gin drinks and a whole world has opened up to me. So it became this thing at the sugar house. We started working on this idea of creating memorable experiences through hospitality. It's not just about the drink. It's more about uh, working people through the the really great experiences that they could have there. So that was my experience. And one of the reasons why I'll always love the sugar house, you know, I think it was the first place in the city that really opened up the possibilities to me all the times I had traveled in the, in the past, I would never have imagined like, wow, let me seek out some really cool bars. It was just like stumble into whatever right. bars by the hotel or, you know, Buffalo Wild Wings. And so now, you know, I could travel and say, wow, there's some really great bars in these cities, restaurants the same way and, and seek them out. And that has totally uh, elevated, you know, the experiences that I've had, what I've been able to share with other people as well. So that's been really great. So I, and I had a similar experience while I was on the other side of the bar. So Oakland is really what got me into some of the more depth and breadth of the bar, learning about all these great spirits and exploring, kind of watching this whole thing that Detroit went through. You know, now we're up to, I would say, uh, easy 10 craft cocktail bars. You know, maybe um, definitely there's a lot more people are moving away from those traditional spirits, those well, gin and tonic kind of drinks. Every restaurant that opens in the city of Detroit now has a cocktail program. Because you have to. We don't even say craft cocktail anymore, which is great. Yeah. We can just say cocktails. Yeah. And people assume, oh, this is, you know, you make your own syrups, you make your own juices. Like, right. Well, yeah. Applebee's now has what they, you know, Shit, even the other. And that program is kicking. That's <laughs> I mean, Yanni was the judge, so you know that who had made it through there. Inside joke. Uh, but also, like, for someone that doesn't know much, um, maybe more than the average person, but I can look at a menu and be pretty critical of, you know, your craft cocktail menu and understand that, like, some of the ingredients look like garbage. There's just a right. place I went to this week that I was shocked that the menu was so old school and that they haven't kind of changed with the times. Uh, and even when I talked to the bartender, he's like, listen, I, I don't make these drinks anymore. People want old fashions. They want gin and tonics. Yeah. They want those drinks. Yeah. Why don't you change that? So yeah. I'm working on that. On that. I, th- I think it's interesting, like uh, coming from uh, what we do at Ackroyd's and like the kind of necessity sometimes to turn people away. Um, Like we're a bakery, right? People come in, they, Look for cookies, cupcakes, birthday cakes, uh, really kind of simple. Can you put happy thing. birthday and icing on one of your meat pies? We just, could. Okay. Just on a glazed haggis. We could glaze a haggis. We could. Okay. But, but it, there's like, there's like a particular kind of like guide, guidance that happens. And I, you know, I teach a lot of times when we, we train people, like we're, we're less, when people walk through the door, you assume that they want to buy something. Yeah. Right. They're not walking through the door just because they. Well, uh, you're committing to get to your location. You're not like walking distance from yeah, anything. We're, yeah, we are definitely a, a destination, and it, you know the neighborhood people that come in looking for cupcakes. I feel bad for. Right. 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 Um, but the same thing could be said for Sugar House, where someone comes in and is looking for something really simple or something that they're really comfort comforted by. Yeah. Um, you know, in our case, a cupcake. In your case, uh, you know, vodka tonic. Vodka tonic. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Um, we do make vodka tonics, by the way. 
Oh, well, okay. No, so, no, no. I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> friends don't let friends drink That's, them, but we do make them. We do make them. No, but I, there is definitely a parallel between the two businesses. And there's definitely a nuance, right? Yeah. So I teach that, you know, rather than saying like, you know, you're, you're, you know, you're a customer service expert or something like that, you're a guide. You're, you're teach, you're guiding people through what they potentially could order. Yeah. Get right? out of your bubble. Totally. You know? You don't need a cupcake. Try a fern cake. Try a whatever. Right. Right. You don't need your vodka tonic unless you really want it. You can right. make it. Right. You know, why don't you try this other drink? You know, you guys have great seasonal menus that are, you know, kind of continually reinventing what you're doing. Um, the takeovers are amazing. So, again, I think it's getting people out of their comfort zone and letting them grow. It's kind of like I, I relate it to like food in the 70s, you know, or food in the 60s. It was this mass produced crazy thing kind of coming out of the war and people got sick of the food they wanted. So or they had. That led to more experimentation and looking into or, you know, Chinese food and Japanese food and things like that. I think we're in that same stage with drinks and, you know, the food continues to get better, too. Totally. Totally. Okay. So we're going to take a break. Uh, we will be back shortly with the uh, next segment. And welcome back. Now we're going to talk about what we're drinking. Uh, tonight we happen to be drinking this Really nice looking bottle of wild turkey. Uh, it's a single barrel bourbon whiskey. Uh, looks like uh, bottled on November nineteenth, two thousand fifteen. Barrel number eight fifty. Okay. Oh, eight fifty. So, Great. Barrel. I thought eight fifty two was a little better. Uh, Great barrel. So, so here, here's the thing, right? So, <laughs> uh, three fifty. You know, not not knowing not knowing much about this whole spirit thing. I, I grew up with wild turkey, thinking like my drunk uncle. Was getting hammered off wild turkey on the couch during Thanksgiving, saying mildly racist things. Um, Your uncle is a racist. <laughs> yeah, he, yeah. I mean, come on. But uh, let's let, let's get down to this. And this is a, a really nice looking bottle. It's like crystal or something, whatever it is. And and it's single barrel. What does single barrel mean uh, to to the to the novice to someone like me? Right. So I'll tell. I'll, we we can get into why why why. Mm, why your drunk uncle drinks wild turkey, which is actually a fantastic story, and wild turkey is an incredible company. Um, this bottle in particular, uh, a year and a half ago, I was lucky enough to be a part of um, the experience called Behind the Barrel, where um, they took down a dozen people from various bars around the country, and we spent a couple days with Jimmy and Eddie Russell, Jimmy being the uh, master distiller of 60-odd years at Wild Turkey, and his son, Eddie Russell, who's the new master distiller, who's only been distilling for like... 35 years. Um, but these are the guys that basically own wild turkey. Really, really lovely people. Uh, fantastic distillery. And while I was down there, I was able to pick a single barrel of bourbon. So what that means is the bourbon that you drink, the bourbon that you see on the shelves, your Buffalo Trace, your Maker's Mark, um, whatever you drink, most of the stuff that you drink. If it doesn't say single barrel, it is a blend of different barrels of whiskey uh, that are stored around the property in various rick houses. Um, and they take these barrels of whiskey and they, they blend them together and they create a certain flavor profile. So in this case, when you see single barrel, it means that everything that was in that barrel went into bottles and they sent all of those bottles to me. So we as Sugar Houses DOS buy uh, maybe eight, nine barrels a year, um, which is, just, I don't know, a couple thousand bottles of, of bourbon. 50, 55 gallons, 50 gallons? Yeah, well, so it'd be 54 gallon. Uh, they're, Six. depending, we get like, uh, anywhere from 
200, 225 on some of the ones. Yeah, so, so we get per, a couple hundred it, bottles. And they're bottled. You're not yeah. doing it yourself in the basement, No, no, right? they, they, they okay. ship us the empty barrel, but they also ship us the bottles and packages um, so we can sell it. It's just an, a state regulation mm-hmm. thing. So in this case, I was fortunate enough to be down there with Eddie Russell. He pulled 18 barrels uh, of bourbon down, and we tasted through a bunch of them. Once you taste uh, four at barrel strength, everything just tastes mm-hmm. like gasoline, but um, in a good way. Um, obviously, Eddie is very practiced at this, but uh, I was with Chaz from the Oakland and Trish Patterson, actually. Sure. Um, were you spitting? No. Oh, God, okay. No, no. Okay. This has been after a day of drinking Sacrilege. as it was. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, but uh, it was a really fantastic experience, and we were fortunate enough to get one of the only um, single barrels of wild turkey in the state. Nice. Which and- is great. Do you like sign the bottle? So like when you go into surgery, you like X your arm? We, yeah, we sign the barrel. Okay. So once you pick the barrel, and, we, and Jason and I and a couple of our other guys just went to Four Roses last week in Kentucky, and we picked the barrel that we liked, and we you know wrote shit all over it, and they'll send it to us, and we'll have the barrel, and we'll okay. keep the barrel on display in the bar, and then eventually we'll sell it or give it away to one of our friends that makes beer, like yeah. Charles from Lelanar, or whatever. Yeah. So Okay, so for someone who doesn't drink a lot of bourbon, is this what what is Do you not drink a lot of bourbon? I I, I don't. We, okay. We're gonna fix that. Yeah. So <laughs> that was me a year and a half ago. So don't worry. You no, can I'll catch up. You can get pretty far pretty quick. <laughs> Nick brought his own snifter. Too, yeah. so. <laughs> Can't drink out of a red solo cup, right. can you? Yeah. Um. So uh, what is the what is the uh I don't know the positive or wh- why should I order this something? Well, I can't order this, but something like this versus something more mass produced. Like what? Yeah. Well, I know what you mean. So, so this is, so this, you can order this. You can't specifically order this juice, but this, um, the whiskey that came out of this barrel fits a profile that Wild Turkey calls the single, calls the Kentucky Spirit profile. That's uh, bottled at 101 proof and it is a single, it's always basically a single barrel. Um, and is this hard to find? Cause I don't feel like I've seen this on the shelf. It's not. Any decent liquor store. You can get this out. This, is, this is like the equivalent of like a Blanton's okay. or um, Rock Hill Farms, basically. But this is the Wild Turkey expression. So they they of all they only make one type of bourbon, mm-hmm. um, and all and then the difference is all where they're storing it in their various rickhouses, and then they taste it and they say, well, this should be a Russell's Reserve. This should be a Wild Turkey 101. This is ready to go, or this this is some serious shit that we're gonna sell as the 15 year master's keeper whatever right so they have these different they have these different characteristics that the barrels take on because obviously the barrels are different they're going to age differently depending on the location of the and, warehouse and these warehouses are tall so you get warehouses on not the bottom always. yeah not always some Four of roses are, does single story yeah and houses. so i think but that kind of my thought was there is that some on the bottom might be cooler some on the top might be warmer you're right. and that's kind of where you're getting that variety you're right definitely so buffalo trace for example the sazerac company has six story warehouses where <laughs> The stuff all the way at the top is obviously very hot and very cold. So the um, expansion and contraction of the whiskey into the wood happens re- happens exponentially more than at the bottom. But those are basically the cheapest whiskeys they sell. Mm. Even though they have a lot of flavor, they're, they basically are aging quickly, right, if you will. Mm-hmm. And so those are kind of the, the younger, cheaper whiskeys that you have. Now, I like those whiskeys, actually. So for me, picking Give an up, example. Um, I like the big, bold flavors of like a Weller, William okay. Drew Weller and things like that. Mm-hmm. So I like I like the bolder whiskeys with a lot more flavor. So wait wait a second, R- roll back here. Uh, so bolder whiskeys mean what? I like I like sweet whiskeys okay. with a lot of spice. So I think that 
if of all the single barrels that we buy, when I buy them, I look for a whiskey that has a lot of caramel notes to it, has, smells you know caramely, maybe some citrus, and has some richness and some spice. That's what to this. It. I think so. So yeah. that's what I get from it. Yeah, Joe, and, you're and, a you're a beer guy, right? Yes. So if we kind of talk in beer terms, you know, this is maybe like you're like talking a big bold IPA as opposed to something more mellow the, and nuanced. The, I, I'm I'm talking I'm talking a porter as opposed to a pale ale. Yeah. So th- this when I. First sip, this is like, this is really easy to drink. Yeah. And I don't know if that's what you're going for. Yeah. We always want easy to drink. I mean, you, you know, you always want to enjoy the whiskey, but I think that this has just got a lot of body to it. Yep. It's got, it's got some sweetness. It's got a lot of backbone, a lot of character. Um, some of the whiskeys that we tried last week, one of them tasted like banana, smelled and tasted like bananas. And we really thought about buying an entire barrel. But my concern is if you, as a novice to whiskey, sit down and you order this, you're going to be like, this smells like fucking bananas. This isn't how whiskey should taste. <laughs> now, I, I, you know, the, the guys that I was with, we all drink a lot of whiskey and we thought this would be really cool. But instead, we chose something that would fit that more traditional profile of a classic American bourbon, big, bold flavors. That, That's, that speaks to the, uh, to your earlier question, Joe, about why would somebody, you know, look for a single barrel product in general it offers people an opportunity to try some interesting flavor profiles that they might not get from something that's mass produced. So, you know, the private barrel selections, whether it's at the bars, a lot of the bars around town have them. Um, a lot of the good retailers uh, in the area you can go to, you develop a relationship with them. They've got interesting palettes or they can bring in an interesting product where, you know, you've got your daily drinkers. Okay, I'm a, your uncle. He drinks wild turkey. He's always drinking it. Um, guys like Buffalo Trace, you've got these things that you're they are your consistent go-tos. And then the the barrel selection programs give you an opportunity to try something that's out there, something different. Um, and that's something that you can geek out on and do some blind tastings and do some really cool things with. So that's a good reason to to seek those out. So if you ever see something that somebody's picked out, it's got the potential to to be out of the... Yeah. Of the if, you're, if you're at a store or a bar and they've got a single barrel that they picked out, automatically go mm-hmm. to that. Because that's, that, that's going to reflect what the owner or the head bartender or the beverage director, their, you know, what they like. And that I think is really interesting. You might get bananas. Who knows? Well, so, bananas okay. Foster. So Wild Turkey makes a lot of bourbon, right? Contrast that with, you know, my thought goes to like local producers, right? Motor City Gas down the street, um, New Holland, uh, you know, these local two James, whoever, um, the, the kind of mass and I don't want to call this like single barrel mass production because it's single barrel, right? But it's like, how do you compare what they're doing to what someone like Motor City Gas is doing? Can you compare it? Well, yeah. So the 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 reality is, and and um, to 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 bring it home, visit if you're ever in Kentucky, go to the distilleries, go to a Cooperage if you can. Yeah, I've never been. We, so Cooperage I, yeah. is where they build the barrels. Okay, we can build cars with only robots and nothing else. We can't mm-hmm. build a barrel, a wood. Uh, an oak barrel that we age the bourbon in without like 50 people doing it. It is not automated mm-hmm. at all. So what basically what, what happens is all of this distillation, whatever the product is that comes off the still, it all goes into these barrels. Whomever makes these barrels, they're all aging it. And so the effect, I guess, is that these the bigger these companies are, the better they are at all of this stuff. Not to not to say anything is wrong with, with Motor City Gas or 2James. I love all those guys. I love all their products. They have more control. 
They have saying, control and they have experience. Yeah. They have experience. The, the larger companies, the big companies or the, the big companies. The big companies have control and experience. And the goal for New Holland or more so, I guess, is to become a wild turkey. I mean, not not, not trying to put that in your – like. yeah. But, but they want to sell more, right? Well, in the nice theory. thing about a big company is you can kind of sell some of the more mass stuff to supplement your big stuff. Right. So, therefore, if you do something that kind of pays the bills, then you can have a nerdy distiller that goes in and makes something really cool and unique. So, so Drunk Uncle drinks the baseline wild turkey. Yeah. And then you have all this this up, this up kind of higher echelon kind of mm-hmm. right. stuff available to nerds and geeks. Or to and- take it a step up. Uh, the Sazerac company that makes Buffalo Trace and also distills Pappy Van Winkle, their biggest seller is Fireball. Fireball ah. outsells all of their whiskey like 50 to 1. And of all the bourbon they make, Fireball smokes the shit out of it. So the, unintended. The rumor is the way you get Pappy in your restaurant or your retail store is by how much Buffalo Trace and Fireball you sell. I can't confirm okay. nor deny that. Yeah, I, I'm almost wondering. We have to find like a, a person who has like no skin in the game to ask about that. Sell yeah. fireball to sugar house. We don't. <laughs> fireball single barrel. That explains fireball a lot. Barrels? That explains oh actually. God. Holy shit! That Can explains a lot. Yeah. I bought six fucking single barrels from Buffalo Trace last year, and they're very good to me. Thank you, Mark. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> But you're onto something, though. Single barrel yeah. fireball. Yeah. Right. Well, I just noticed in one of the groups, uh, I, I haven't seen it locally, but apparently there's the uh, the large five-gallon box of fireball mm. floating around with the multiple spouts. No. So, yeah, I've seen oh a picture. God. Who has a dispenser? Next the skip. It's like slap the, ba- slap the box, slap the bag. No. Yeah. Someone has no. a dispenser, a fireball dispenser. Really? Yeah. I locally? Thought they did. Yeah, I thought maybe not. I could be crazy. What if Skip got something new? It must not have been fireball. I don't know. Mm. All right. Skip has fireball? No. That's no. A, maybe. Is that a rumor we're starting? That's totally a rumor. <laughs> Not at all. The best fireball in the alley. All right. Well, uh, do we want to do we want to keep talking about this? Do we want to move on to something else? I, how are, how are our cups doing? Uh, Did you finish I'm, it? I'll try that. Other what was this other thing we have here? So we don't have Talk nearly the great backstory we have on this one, but the reason why I liked this is so I picked it up at Keiko's. Keiko's is one of my one of my favorite places to uh, place. to get some spirits. Yep. Uh, they're very knowledgeable. You you look on their shelves and they're they're it's not just what's lined up on the shelves. It goes like three deep because he's hiding secret stuff behind totally. there. So uh, this is uh, Avua Avua Avua. Please pronounce it for me. Well, they say Avua Kasha Avua Kashasa. I think Avua okay. means to take flight, um, which makes sense. The rep came in. There. The only reason I know that is because the rep came in and gave me the whole thing. And is it little guy? Uh, it's distributed through Little Guy, okay. but the listeners don't know what any of that means. But the rep came in, and and uh, and so cachaça is Brazilian rum, basically, right? It's it, br- is Brazilian rum. It is distilled. Is that the one that's distilled with sugar cane? Sugar cane. Okay, this is sugar cane. See, juice. I know stuff, some stuff. Yeah, no, you you get it. And is yep. it similar Thanks. to a a rum with a uh, agricultural rum? It, it, I find it. Yes, I think that's very. That's very. Um, I think that's a very apt comparison. Is that yeah? It it does have a little bit more of that rustic, almost light okay. whiskey kind of characteristic, as opposed to some of your South American rums, which are just sugar bombs. You know, this guy is uh is got some alcohol. It's got some some hogo. You know, some some earthiness to it. Oh wow! Um, this is great. This is the best cachaça that has ever been in the state of Michigan. Which is because most of the stuff that we have up until recently was unaged. Yeah, unaged, and color on it. unaged yeah. and and only because Michigan is such a difficult state to get a spirit listed in, only the massive companies are able to list their spirits here, especially when it comes to small producers like this. Mm-hmm. So these guys who are 
you know, craft guys brought it in with the idea of there are plenty of states like Michigan that nobody has good fucking cachaça. We've got Yipicoa. We've got P2. You know what P2's got? It's got a fucking lobster on the front of it. What or no, f- a crawfish <laughs> or something. It's got a, it's a, bo- a clear bottle that says P2 and it's got a fucking crawfish on it. That's what it tastes like. What so, about 51? Do we have that one here? Yeah, we have Cachaça 51. All these come and go. They're got fine, okay. but they're all, th- these are all like, those are like the absolute vodka. Yeah, I don't want to, no, I don't want to talk shit yeah, about this. This was really okay, good. Right. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, these are like the absolute vodkas, the Smirnoffs of the Cachaça so, world. And this bad boy is like your craft. Method cachaça. So reading reading from the bottle, it's a single source from the hills of Carmo, Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. Handcrafted, aged up to two years in Amberana wood casks. Yeah. Uh, so this is a product of Brazil. All cachaça comes from Brazil? Cachaça comes from Brazil by definition. It is Brazilian. It's, it's, it's Brazil's rum. And then, of course, the caipirinha is the national drink of Brazil, which is made from cachaça. So... For for me, just tasting this, um, it is incredibly floral and sweet on the nose, it, especially it, it, compared it, to that ap- wild turkey. <laughs> yeah, I, I get like <laughs> sweet sweet apple. Yeah, almost totally. You know, and, yeah. and um, it's real really nice. Like uh, and like honey sweet, and honey. Yep, pear, floral. Yeah, yep, really all that. Nice. All that. Um, but light, light, light compared to the rum. What is a bottle like this? Yeah. Uh, what what did you pay pay for this? I think it was fifty. Fifty bucks. was it? Fifty. Yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah. That, so and that's it's also a treat. That's also way more expensive than any of the other cachaças yeah. in the state. And there's, there's other guys. Around. I mean, this is really good. I've never had the other one straight, but this is this is fantastic. Yeah. We started you off pretty big. I'm yeah, sorry. and, and don't is, bother visiting the other ones. This and is, and, this and is so you make uh, and maybe we went over this. You make what do you make with this? Cop, caparina. Caparinas. So caparinas. it's uh, yeah. well, lime and. But you wouldn't do that with this. I mean, it, I mean, I would. You would, Why but not? Um, yeah, I think that you know this this is a very expressive spirit. It's really delicious. There are a ton of great things you can do. Listen, you take any fucking spirit. You take white whiskey. You take you take you know twenty year old bourbon. You take scotch. You add sugar and lime juice to it. It's going to be good. I yeah. guarantee you. Okay. That that is the that is one of the basic tenets of mixology right there. Is that's called a sour. It's like garbage sugar, in, garbage out. Yeah. Well, no, no. I'm just saying sugar, sugar, citrus, and booze is going to be delicious no matter what. The question is, you know, do are you going to are you willing to drink a you know spend a fifty spend fifty bucks on a bottle like this and make a caipirinha with it? Fantastic! It will be great. I'm sure there are plenty of other lovely things you can it, do with this bottle. So it's the old adage, right? Like if you there's this dichotomy between cooking wine and drinking wine. If you're going to cook with it, you should be able to drink it. Don't don't cook with shit and don't drink shit. Sure, you know, buy what you like, cook with what you like, and drink it too. Don't don't. And so if this is what you like. And if you want to mix it with whatever, mix it. Yeah. Right? Like, there, there's no reason why you can't cook with a $50 bottle of wine. And there's no, if you have if you have the means, do it. Yeah. 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 That's what it comes down to. Yeah. This is a, this is a great bottle of whiskey. Yeah. Great bottle of rum, though. Good call, Nick. Mm-hmm. Nice job, Nick. <laughs> so, we're going to... They don't call him the beverage director for no reason. <laughs> <laughs> the cocktail expert. The cocktail expert. We're going to take another break, and we will be back and talk about some food stuff. Mm. And we're back, and we're going to talk about some food stuff now, and we're going to start with this uh, kind of... We're going to start a feud, right? We're going to start a feud between... Well, flop- we talked about... Hold on. Before you go into that, we talked about... Lafayette Coney Island and American Coney Island. Yeah, so these are so, two huge hot dog places, like not even a foot from each other. Right, and this is a feud for the ages, right? So the the kind right. of like, if you have Detroit cred, you pick 
Lafayette. American or Lafayette. Pick Lafayette. Yeah, that's right. But well, I, I pick Dooley's, but that's 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 a that's, that's, a, a, that, that, that's a cop out, right? <laughs> don't. That is, is, that's that's kind don't of a dick that, move. Don't be that that's guy. A, that's a dick don't move. I like Dooley's though. I do. That's fair. Yeah, that's fair. Whatever. This podcast brought to you by Dooley's. I like Lafayette. I bet you like Lafayette better. I'm just gonna, you know, whatever. Whatever it is, what it is. So, so we're gonna start another feud mm-hmm. between. Two, we're gonna start this. This is our this feud. Is, this yeah. is this is what's gonna happen right now. There's two Middle Eastern Chipotle concepts. Let's call them Chipotle concepts, right? Because they're kind of the fast casual Middle Eastern. Um, there's a place called Falafel. Yep. And almost directly across the street is a place called Twenty Nine. Like directly across the street. Twenty nine forty one street food, which which you know for our for our money is a pretty terrible name. Like it doesn't make any sense. This is, this is Woodward. This it is like high traffic Woodward area, Midtown. Yeah, Midtown, just south of the Mocad. Yeah, just north of Hopcat. And while we were sitting here, I tried to Google falafel in case I was like trying to like maybe they say falafel or whatever. No, I couldn't even find it because its name is falafel. Like, oh, they spell it differently. Well, it's like F E L A F I L L. It's spelled differently than what's than falafel. actual falafel. Oh, yeah. Why would you but then, do that? Then for equally, equally across the street is twenty nine forty one. Which none of us could remember. None of us could remember. We spent 10 minutes trying to memorize 2941. And they have the exact same product, although admittedly 2941 is more robust. And I I think, and I've been going to Falafel for, you know, a year, year and a half, longer than, uh, shit, two years, I guess at this point. You know, I think 2941 is better, but it's so strange that these two places, brand new restaurants, brand new build outs Mm -hmm. would open across the street from one another. In Detroit, it's just it just blows my mind. It bottles my mind. So so here's here's what I get. So I, I you and I, I went. I've been well. Yeah. I've been to Falafel once, which you didn't bring Twi- me to twice. Thank you. But whatever, can't can't bring you everywhere, Nick. Um, but what what I gathered from Falafel is that they the kind of customer service side of things, um, they they didn't really care. Um, th- there was very little kind of like uh guiding going on is a, to use a term from earlier um there was a lot of guiding what when nick and i went to 2941 epic well uh, we were the only ones there we were and, and i think that they were kind of apologetic because most of the stuff we were served was cold oh, uh, they were mistaken. sold out of something they were sold out of huh. a couple things yeah. and um well how how long had they been open 2941 or yeah uh it's over a month i thought yeah well at least a month right mm. Maybe that's that's just fucked up. Yeah, no, I I think here's the thing, right? So it's polished. We were there you go the, in that place, and it's like beautiful graphics and big polish, and and they're serving out of Lake Crusade. Yeah, you know, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. The, like the, four different proteins out of Lake Crusade. And it's yeah, like, it's yeah. like it's, how do they afford that? Food cost is like crazy. Um, and I think the thing that blew our mind is we come in and we're like, oh, there's a giant tray where you can sample like 37 things in this like little dish. Um, they like, I don't know where they found this dish. I think it was from an Indian restaurant because it was like a plastic a th- multi. Th- thali, yeah. yeah. Thali. No, it's like a tali dish. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. So Joe and I like strategically go after the menu so we can try as much as we can between the two of us. Sure. And then what we couldn't get to, we got his sides and we were fatties. Yeah. We had so much food. We paid like 50 bucks because it was a lot of food. Yeah. So I don't yeah. fault them on that. It yeah. wasn't even 50 bucks. It was probably no- South of thirty, well, south, south of forty. I paid. You ran away. <laughs> I did. I did. I did. Classic Joe. <laughs> uh, I got to use the bathroom. <laughs> but the, there was there was at least a half pound to a pound of salad in the middle of yeah. the in the middle of the dish, yeah. and that's not necessary. Right. It's not. Right. For, for I mean, unless you're telling people right off the bat, like you can serve four people with this 
platter because you you could have. I mean, we, we we did pretty well. Healthy. The two of us, the two of out. us, healthily could have eaten one, one platter. Yes, and, and there was bread, and there was something else. Yeah, and and, and, I, and so that's a, what the other thing. This samoon bread that they serve mm-hmm. would have been fantastic if it was fresh. Yeah, it wasn't at yeah. the time. Well, that's I mean that's an operational problem right there. I mean, the, the, you know, for being open for a month, it's no excuse unless there's just not enough flow. I will say it falafel. It is like a mother and a couple of sons that are in there. I don't know if it's their only gig, but and they were first, right? You yes, okay. they were there. They've been there for two years okay. actually, and then they lived through the entire horror of the M1 rail closing it down and just starving to death up there. And then this other place opens directly across the street, mm-hmm. which is really insane to me. Um, like the guy at twenty nine forty one was like, "Ah, I can do that better. I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna put you out of business." You know, like it's just it's just insane. Like all these things that we're seeing opening, like. These guys each spent like hundreds of thousands of dollars yeah. on their on their establishments. And twenty four ninety one is going to get booze. Yeah, so he's already talked. Like he has like uh, twenty nine twenty nine forty one. He is going to get booze. <laughs> they, they built a little bar over yep. there, and uh, there there is a cocktail menu already with okay. like a lot of Iraq cocktails, oh, which cool. is funny because we're now sipping on well yeah. different spells. This is not yeah. Yeah, this is not that Iraq. Yeah, <laughs> but that Iraq tastes like ouzo. It does. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But anyway, um, I, it's just a really weird thing to me that like now we're getting to the point in Detroit where now we're seeing like rival concepts which is all you know that's anathema to detroit because it's always been more is better i mean mm. sugar house has never been busier than it is now because gold cash gold and mercury bar and motor city wine and slows and all of these and ema which replaced rub all these people now come to this destination but i say that now until somebody opens a cocktail bar next door to sugar house then I'm like, fuck that guy, I'm going to burn it down, which is how I assume the guys at Falafel we must be feeling. We do not condone burning down rivals. We don't. Yeah. But, we don't. But, but here's the thing. Who, who in the who in the right mind would open a cocktail joint next to Sugar House? Well, I guess that I, but I'm just yeah. using that as an You're example. Making, but but I, I know you are. But but like the, the kind of they like. better not. I'll fucking burn it down. <laughs> the kind of like. Yeah. But think when there, it started, there, though. There, I mean, there's, yeah. But there's a reason why 2941 opened across the street from Falafel. Sure. They saw Falafel as a weak concept. Yeah, I, Sugar okay, House I isn't a weak concept. I agree, yeah. And, and I'm not saying Falafel is a weak concept. What but I'm saying they is- they saw weakness. They saw weakness. Opportunity. Um, and, and, you know, when I went to Falafel, the, like, everything was- It was fine. It was good. Totally. Um, the, the, I didn't like the Falafel, oddly enough. I liked everything else more than the Falafel. Yeah. Um. If your namesake is falafel, make really good fucking falafel. Yeah. Well, like, right, so what did you think of the falafel though at twenty nine forty one? Falafel was bad. Okay, Located it was forty two nineteen. No, but yes, no. I just had to double check. That's not true. Yes, the same number. It's twenty nine forty one located at forty two nineteen. No, well, hold on. I'm so they started in Rochester. Amazing, Fuck, man. Oh my god, maybe their address I'm dictates so where they have to be. And they're like every one of their locations. We talked about has got this. to be a we combination of two nine four one. So that's why they opened there. Oh my god, it they makes perfect sense. They were trying to shut down falafel. <laughs> they're, that they're, was the only place they, they could were go just on like. Over. This is the so, only, okay, literally yeah, the only place we can go. So, so let, let's let's talk about falafel for a second, yeah. right? Like, and I haven't do, been. Do you, so I'll, do you, who who eats falafel? Do, do do you guys eat a lot of falafel? Uh, I've grown up eating falafel. Okay, I don't. So like I haven't recently. Have I been, used to live in the Dearborn area. So you uh, been to Hamido? Mm-hmm. I've not been to Hamido. No, 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 no. Hamido has fantastic yeah. falafel, yeah. really fantastic falafel, and it's hard for me not to compare every other falafel to Hamido. Yeah. And um, so when we had twenty nine forty one's falafel, yeah. <laughs> uh, 
I, it it was it wasn't anything special. No. Like it mm. and um and they were they fr- they fried it right in front of us. Well, that mm. may, that's an interesting question though because so who, what is who are they targeting at that location? Anyways, there's two of these places down here, and so when I was going to school, you from Dearborn, and uh, obviously you're in the Dearborn area, you know, like. You can get all this really amazing food there, right? So I don't think anybody from Dearborn is driving to no. 40, 42, <laughs> Woodward, uh, to get falafel, right? So no, like, no one is. So right. are, are there even enough people there to support both of right. those? Is there like what what is what was so, even the original? So let me throw another wrench into this, right? right. So there is a place on Third Street called Harmony Garden. Oh yeah, all yes. right. Harmony Garden makes something called the Falamankush, which is a uh, falafel sandwich with Syrian cheese and tomatoes and lettuce on zata bread. That which sounds good. Is Harmony, fan- Harmony Garden is great. Yeah, it, it is yeah, wonderful. And it used to be over on Palmer where Bilbo Bib Biblos is, but he moved. Yeah, yeah. And um, Harmony Garden makes fantastic. They have a, they have a floppy Joe, which is just a, a falafel patty with vegetarian chili and some cheese. It's fantastic. Um, and would would you eat one of their falafel balls patties by itself? Well, at, we say at, at falafel nuts. Falafel nuts. Okay. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> like, because, um, yeah. Because I feel like every time I eat falafel, I need it either like dunked in tahini sauce or something to so, give it some flavor. Okay, so it shouldn't I'll, be that way, though. Okay. I, I will so go I've on had record now saying that, uh, like, if we're talking falafel in the Detroit area, you go to Harmony Garden. Okay. I don't so, think there's anything else in the area. So that again, you, we're trying to start a, a feud between a, two places across the street. Feud. Yeah, and but you let's come in with Dooley's again. <laughs> no, no, Harmony Garden. Harmony Garden. That's what I'm saying. You, be, I'm, the yeah. Dooley's of falafel right. is not. I'm an Harmony. asshole. I'm an asshole. I guess. I guess that. I guess just but to Harmony take, Garden is the is the yeah. It's a block. Is away. the measuring stick. I agree. I agree. It's just it's just a very interesting thing for me to see is that now now like the everybody's always asking me saturation saturation are we there are we there. I don't think we are. I think that we've got thousands and thousands of more people that are going to be moving to the city of Detroit in the next year, but there are a ton of new options. There are a ton of restaurants that have opened in the last six months in the last year, right? So, you know, where do we get to that point of saturation? When two concepts are basically battling it out across the street, that is an indication of saturation to a certain extent. And I mean, I guess it kind of goes with the free market. Like one of them is going to, one of them is going to win, one of them is going to lose. They're both not going to be there in a year. You oh, know. you don't think either one will be? I mean, I'm saying oh, they both it. won't okay, be. One, one will be. Oh, okay, so so here's here's this will lead into something that I want to talk about uh, more specifically. There was an article in Thrillist recently about uh, th- this restaurant bubble that's going to happen, and, and there's going to be a bunch of restaurants that close in the next, you know, three to five years. This was a national thrill. So nat- yeah, nat- okay. nat- national article. Correct me if I'm wrong, but historically the lifeline of a restaurant most restaurants fail within five they don't fail they close within five years uh it's something like um 70 in the first year um 85 in the first two years and 90 percent in the first five years so like okay, i don't know so, so the author of this like article that. not that he's like he's trying not to think about it it's like 270 well, yeah, exactly. well i just the, want to drink the, the pass ar- me that pass me that batavia is that different than this one no kill okay. it the the art the, the article set the article to me when i read through it basically was if you had any any notion of how the restaurant industry works is basically just repeating what every person in the industry knows that in five years more than likely your place is going to close and and, and so a lot of places op- have opened in the last couple, and of course they're going to close the next three. So he's essentially repeating 
everything we know already, right? Is or is that I, wrong? No, I didn't. I didn't take it that way. I think that he was saying that there's a very popular thing right now about, um, and we'll get into this, I assume, in one of the upcoming um, podcasts. But the whole no tipping thing and mm-hmm. the uh, inequality of front of the house to back of the house, right? And so suddenly now chefs are rock stars. Everybody wants to be a chef. So guys, thanks Food Network. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So, so guys go into the kitchen. They want to be chefs. They work in the kitchen. You know what? Working in the kitchen is really fucking hard. It is. And if you're good, you're making like 15 bucks an hour. If you're a good server, you know, at one of my places, we've got a guy that makes, takes home 600 bucks a night in cash, right? I mean, he kills it. So how can you, how can, but without the guy in the kitchen, he wouldn't have a job. Right. So it's this whole sort of paradigm that we just have to deal with and I think that what I think that that whole conversation about the thrillist thing is um, we need to start shifting it. So there's more money for everyone in the entire restaurant without placing too much of a burden on customers. And at the same time, he was making the argument that um, that uh, and we Jason and I were having this conversation over dinner that everything is too expensive. But that's because everybody expects everything to be farm to table. Mm -hmm. Everybody now expects your craft cocktails to be made with fresh you know, fresh lemon juice and homemade bitters and, you know, f- you know, simple syrup that you're making in house. Everybody has these expectations and that we've all sort of as diners adapted to this idea of this is the bare minimum now. And now I want something I want more, even more value. And that in theory is going to, I think what he was getting at that in theory is going to basically eat away at the middle class of dining. So my, my thought and, and my, and I, um, or not, I don't. Uh, know. Well, my my thought is that everything's too cheap. That we're not charging enough, and and, and maybe like that you. I like you. Yeah, and no, maybe I, that's I, not. I, true. I knew I liked you. <laughs> no, but I'm behind and that may, too. Yeah, but maybe that's not true of like bad luck. Like I don't know what you guys. I don't know what your costs are. What yeah. your like? I don't know enough about bad luck. As we a business require model. a semen sample <laughs> per order. <laughs> that's fine. That's, um, that's okay. Sorry, ladies. <laughs> That got that got a little weird. That went, that We've been was, drinking was for such an hour. Awkward pause. It was. Yeah. Um, um, but uh, so so my my thought I told my thought up, is yeah. like we're like and, and so I was in a meeting uh, a couple months ago with uh, a bunch of other restaurant owners and the vast majority of them were chain restaurant owners and they were very specific about how how these kind of restrictions and laws and these new new um, uh, that paying people a certain amount of money was going to affect them more than their bottom else. line. Their sure. bottom line. Yeah. Uh, at the bakery, we're very cognizant of trying to pay people a living wage. Um, we try to be as best as best that we can do. Uh, we want people to be able to have a good quality of life. You know, uh, with you know work life balance and good money, whatever. Uh, not saying that Applebee's doesn't, but Applebee's has hundreds of locations we have one um and they're the ones with the voice right so they're saying uh we can't pay our people more because because we're we're trying to keep our prices at this point right so you know we want to we want to you know your fried jalapeno poppers for 5.99 we want to give you eight of them for 5.99 if we give you eight of them for eight bucks no one's going to order them i think that's bullshit i think that I think that what you need to do, well, right. So what you need to do is up the quality of your food because what you're looking at is if someone's going to Applebee's and getting shit food, they're going to pay shit prices. Well, people, I think it's a discussion about people who are looking for a price or people who are looking 
for value. And so even though the price may be higher in some instances, some people are willing to pay that because they find the value in not just, for example, like the sugar house we're talking about, creating memorable experiences through hospitality, right? So like, of course, maybe they might not see that the training that we do, that's much more extensive than all of those things. And obviously the ingredients, but also it's this idea of people wanting to, you know, spend money on, on value, something of value, and they're getting that value through that experience. And, and the, another uh, aspect of that is, you know, I was bar backing at the sugar house two and a half years ago. You know, now I work uh, in more of an executive capacity. Um, we go to our Tuesday managers meeting and I look around the room and it's like, there's Kat Hawkins, you know, she started off as a, as a waiter at uh, now she's a general manager at writing company. And Chuck was, you know, the assistant general manager and bartending. And now he's a managing partner and myself. And like, there's a lot of opportunities that are being created for people through um, those price points and by creating mm-hmm. value for people. Right. So the value, the price is not always tied to the value. I think people that are going to Applebee's are price conscious, right? They want that. So that's their business model. But we, if we provide the value, we can get the price for the value. So, okay, so we have to we have to wrap up, but what what I want to talk about and what I want to lead into the next episode, right, is that we should talk more about why the industry is so quiet about talking to people about training and about what goes into one drink at the Sugar House. I'd love that. Yeah. So, so we had a long debate about this and, and like a year ago. So yeah. what I would like to talk about, and I'm not, and I don't want to set it up as like, you know, versus what goes into drink at Applebee's because, you know, Applebee's has their training too. Sure. What I want to talk about in future episodes and, and I think would be very interesting is that we can talk about um, training, talk about uh, the kind of value that you're, Jason, that you're talking about um, in a way that kind of, uh, opens up how uh something that I think we 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 keep kind of secret because we we keep a secret at, at at Ackroyd's too right so our meat pies take a day and a half to make but you don't know why you know you don't know that the shells have to dry overnight and that the, you know there's one person making shells and all of that there's a lot that goes into it so in in the future we'll have guests we'll we'll do we'll you know we'll keep the banter going but um. We'll talk more about issues that are, you know, directly affecting us. I think that's totally, totally reasonable. Mm-hmm. All right. I like it. Looking well, th- forward to it. Thank you, guys. I think yeah. there's a lot of value there. Lots of value. <laughs> For a good price. <laughs> a good price. <laughs> Indeed. I think it's implied in value, Nick. Um, <laughs> and we look forward to very shortly having Camper English. Yeah, we can talk for a really quick uh, second about it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. So Author Camper English from, is... Uh, Portland, cocktail guy. Wrote um, for some big publications, Popular yeah, Science, big, big Sevier, yeah, Sevier, 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 author, published a couple books. Academics.com. Yep, Academics.com. Uh, his new book, GNTWTF, is uh, is out. He's coming out to Sugar House next Sunday to talk about that. We're going to drag him in here Sunday morning. Open to the public? Tickets to the uh, Sunday morning, the date. Open the date. to the public. By the time this runs, the event will probably be passed. Got it. Okay. But uh, the date is the 29th. 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 Sunday. This camper will be here January 29th. Yeah. So we're going to we're gonna sit gonna down with him Sunday that. 29th. <laughs> You're going to hear this after that. He'll already be gone. But uh, anyway, we'll get we'll get his take on, uh, on the world. You know? Awesome. Yeah. Cocktails and shit. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you very much. Thank you. Lots of fun.